Damo, you big sweet tooth. Yes, MP, you chocoholic. So naughty but nice, we're a hit at the Wellness Summit and I want more. Well, how does 20 recipes in their free ebook Heavenly Healthy Desserts sound, MP? Jeepers, Damo, I'm loving that. Or you can hop on down to their brand new cafe, Selection Cafe in South Melbourne and receive 10% off your favourite healthy desserts. Woohoo! To do so, go to sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch and fill in your details to receive your free ebook and discount voucher. That's www.sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch. So naughty but nice. Delicious nutrition. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by not only one of my favorite health and wellness people, but one of my favorite people full stop. Um, she's a health and lifestyle educator. She's creator and founder of 28, which is an amazing range of products that we're going to talk all about today. She is the one and only, the beautiful inside and outside, Kim Morrison. Kim, welcome to the show. You gorgeous thing. Thank you, darling. It's lovely. It's lovely to be here. I think it's very cute that I'm here on a paleo show. I love it. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. I'm so glad to have you on board. I, I really just organized this so I could find you know half an hour to have a chat with you, Kim, because I really <laughs> just wanted to do that because I love having chats with you. We have so much fun together. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a bit about you, Kim. Um, you've got you've got so many things on your resume. You know, We've said the health and lifestyle educator, but you've got a whole list of qualifications and experiences there, including things like being a world record holder, you know, all sorts of things that you've done. Tell us a little bit, for those who don't know about your background and your story, Kim, let's talk a little bit right from the start about how you got into health and lifestyle. Thank you, sweetheart. Look, I think it was really, I was very genuinely interested in sport from right from a young age and netball was the thing that I just absolutely dreamed of becoming a New Zealand silver fern. That was my ultimate and all through high school, you know, that's what I lived for, netball, netball and of course running and all sorts of things that I, I, I genuinely was probably quite, I wouldn't say gifted, but I was a natural athlete, something that I loved doing and it took a lot of work to be good at anything, but netball was the number one calling and it was through high school that I started to really notice that, you know, I found also I was interested in nutrition and I was really interested in exercise physiology and biology and so I guess all, once I left school, um, it was a natural progression into the natural therapies um, way of understanding things because I also really loved chiropractic care. I had been seeing an acupuncturist. So I think I had a little bit of an alternative mindset, if you like, rather than conventional. Um, and I also really wanted to be a physio. That was something I also looked at doing. So uh, combining all of that and then meeting a, a man who was playing, you know, had just got into the New Zealand cricket team, I think my passion for sport, therapies and living a holistic lifestyle really, really came about through all of those things. Um, and when I moved to Australia to, to in, you know, increase my studies, I just happened to fall across a, a man called Cliff Young, who many of your listeners will know, won the inaugural Sydney to Melbourne race at 68 years of age as a potato farmer running 
1,015 kilometres. And I was assigned to him as part of my um, sports therapy training to get up some log hours in the community. And I, I, that man changed my life. And when I told him how boring it was to watch, you know, 40 athletes running around a 400-metre track, he told me to put my money where my mouth was and to enter an event. Mm-hmm. And that just took a whole new meaning because that's, that's really how I got into running long distance was because of a dare from him. So tell us a bit about that, Kim, about the running long distance, because that's a big deal. That was a pretty uh, a big experience for you, not only from an achievement point of view, but from a learning point of view. So tell us a little bit about that story and, and how you got to end up becoming a world record holder. I think anybody that's um, doing anything on a physical challenge or even going through any of life's journeys and challenges and grief and breakdowns and loss and all of that sort of thing, it's, it's usually in those moments of real challenge that we find our real selves. Uh, when life's great, we're, we're bumping along and, and everything feels good and we perhaps even take it for granted. But it's when we get challenged to the depths of despair that we really find out what we're made of and whether or not we can pick ourselves up. And I didn't understand that fully until I ran that first 12-hour race and Cliffy said to me, I, I don't want you to think about anything except that you're about you know, to, to go on a journey and I want you to focus on one thing, that it's 90% mental and 10% physical. And I kind of thought at 20 years of age, oh, righto, you know, what would he know, the old, the old codger? So um, <laughs> I kind of just got into this run and, of course, four hours into the run, Never had I run beyond 10Ks in my life. And here I was four hours in and still had eight hours to go that I started to discover this voice in my head that was very challenging me, like, you know, why are you doing this? How stupid. Sit down. Look, your left ankle's really sore. Quit the race. And I'd take myself off the track and into the pit stop tent and I'd quit the race. And then I had a support team and Cliffy would come in and tap his head and point to his heart like, it's all in the mind and where's your heart? And he'd get back out on the track. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, how is he doing this? So I would sort of look at him very begrudgingly and he'd say to me, it's all in the mind. Just when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're challenged, you can't quit. You just got to get back on the track. Even if you're walking, he'd say to me, one foot in front of the other is better than staying idle and feeling sorry for yourself. So I'd get back out on the track and then I'd notice the left ankle pain was no longer there. And for an hour, I was actually jogging again. And here I was, you know, wanting to quit. And now here I was jogging, only to find another 10 minutes later that my right knee was in agony. And I'd take myself off the track and I'd want to quit and everything was hurting. And, you know, I, that, that was a pattern. And he just kept saying to me, stay on the track, never give up, one foot in front of the other. Till the last hour, one of my support crew came out and said, do you realise if you could up your pace just a little bit, you could actually win this? And as soon as I had someone say that, I don't know what happened in my mind there, but it was like, I haven't run for 11 hours now not to win this. So I found... (laughs) Not competitive, but you know. (laughs) Exactly. And then I just found the strength in me that I, I didn't even know where it came from, Brett, but... I did as I was told and I drank and ate what I was told and I and I ended up winning that 12-hour race. And when they gave me my trophy, they said that I'd done so well running 95.4Ks that I had won a place to represent Victoria in the 24-hour championships. And I think that's when Cliffy said to me at the beginning of that race, you, you know, you learnt the art of staying on the track, but trust me, in this race, 
you're going to meet Kim for the first time. And I didn't really quite understand him until we got to what we call the graveyard shift. And that's from midnight to 6am in a 24-hour race. And your body is wanting to do everything it can to quit or sleep or get off the track. And your mind is fighting with that. And, oh, uh, Reddy, you've done ultra distance. You know what I'm talking about. It's, oh, it's yeah. very easy to want to quit. And, and boy, did I quit probably 400 times in, that, <laughs> in the middle of the night. But somehow I stayed on the track and, and, and just kept pushing myself. And, again, with, with two hours to go, the, you know, there's a lot of story in behind that. But I just think for the benefit of this, there was many highs and lows many moments of, of quitting and many moments of pushing myself back out on the track and walking and crying and feeling sorry for myself to feeling elated and being given the right food and doing what I was told by my team rather than thinking I had it sorted. When you're so exhausted, you actually don't know what's right for you. And I think that that's just such a strong metaphor for life that when we don't know what we're doing, when we feel so lost, it's so nice to have someone say, hey, here's the protocol, here's what we're going to do, here's what I want you to focus on. And to break it down into small size chunks makes it achievable and possible. And, and that, without even realising it, I did as I was told. I stayed on the track. And, and yeah, as the sun came up, they said to me, you know, you're in front of the Victorian champion. How bad do you want it? And I found energy and a pace in there that I never knew I had for the last two hours of that race. I ran quicker than the first two hours. And and yeah, I, I ended up winning it, but not only winning it, they told me I'd set a world record for being the youngest female to run a hundred miles in twenty four hours. So it was it was pretty awesome. It was it's pretty amazing. I still don't know how I did it. <laughs> it's it's phenomenal. It's an amazing story. And I always get jealous when I hear you telling these stories because you know, I grew up and still am an absolute cricket tragic. So I hear you talking about Danny Morrison. I'm like, that's so cool. Danny Morrison, what a cool guy. And I got to meet Danny. How good was that? And uh, and then I hear you talk about Cliff Young. And I actually, I really idolised Cliff Young a bit when I was young. I used to always like listen. Whenever he came on the news or there were stories about him, I was fascinated by this guy who just shuffled along in gumboots and would you know beat all these otherwise very fit, healthy-looking athletes. And this little old man in gumboots would just kind of shuffle <laughs> past him. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So... They're kind of like two people I absolutely idolised growing up, so it's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, that, that's enough about me. Let's go back to interviewing you. Um, so, Kim, I guess, what did you learn? Like, what, what did you learn from that process, and, and how has that affected you going forward for the whole rest of your life? And then a second part to that question, I guess, is um, how can other people access that? You know, there are people who are thinking, well, that, that sounds great, but I don't think I ever want to spend 24 hours running around a 400-meter track. So how can other people access Access and and get that same learning about themselves that you got without having to do it. Yeah, um, exactly. I think, I think you, you just said you don't. You may not necessarily want to do it. And I know for many listeners, they'd be sitting there saying, well, "I don't need to or want to run twenty four hours." But but think about it this way. I mean, Brett, I know you've been open about you. You had a relationship breakdown. Now, I bet that that year that 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 year of your life felt like a flipping marathon. It just was one grueling day after the other at times. And there were, you had to keep going. You had to keep up for your kids. You had to show up for your, for your wife in, in ways that would have them believe in the possibility of, of friendship and love regardless of relationship breakdowns. And, you know, people that have gone through health crises or they've gone through monetary losses or, you know, they've lost someone very, very close to them. And 
I, I don't think it's any different. I just happened to get that analogy when I was 20 and 21 years of age, that life is a marathon. There are many graveyard shifts. There are times where we want to quit and we want to go into the portal toilet on the side of the track and never come out. But we all know that that's not what life is. And, and to be human is to experience all realms of emotion. And I truly believe and I do understand that in order to have light, there has to be dark. So in order to understand how truly blessed we are with health or relationships or children, sometimes we get challenged with the not being able to have children or the, you know, that we have a health crisis or we have a monetary thing that just throws us. So I don't think I'm any different. I just happen to use the marathon as an analogy because I know physically I was really challenged. So what did I do to work on myself through those times is, well, first of all, I, I got around people that knew more than me. I surrounded myself with people that could do this and seemed to do it with ease. And so I would tap into, you have no idea the conversations I would have with Cliff Young. Um, he's still my greatest, even though he's no longer with us. He's, his words that I took notes of in my journaling back then were, are still very much a part of my life. And one of them was the race is not always to the swift, but to those that keep on running. And, and so I've, I learned that you don't have to win everything, but in fact participating in everything is winning in everything, not giving up is winning. But then I also learned the art of sometimes giving in to something is also winning. So there'd be it would be stupid of me to keep running if I had a really bad injury to then never run again. So there's it's just the dichotomy of life, the challenges, the the absolute emotional highs and lows. And I'm yet, I don't know if you're the same, but I'm yet to meet anyone who has gone through life absolutely smooth sailing and finds their eating habits are easy and the same from when they're a teenager to now to their exercise regime is what it should be, that their mental agility and their emotional stability is, is all intact every single day of every single moment. And I, I really don't see how we could expect that to be if we are part of the human race. I've met lots of people like that, Kim. They're all on Instagram. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? that's what we think sometimes, isn't it? We look at the Instagram profile and it all looks perfect. And sometimes we compare ourselves to that, don't we? Yeah. Well, you know what I love? You know, I'm really big on, on, on the social media thing and rules with my children is that, you know, you can have constructive feedback but I certainly don't see the point of criticism or faulting or being nasty to anybody. And when it comes to myself and what I put on Instagram and Facebook, I choose to put the good things up or the things that inspire me or the things that, you know, if I am going through a challenging time rather than saying life sucks for me right now, I'll put up a quote that I'm reading or a book that I'm reading rather than, because at the end of the day, Brett, People actually don't care about me. Now, I don't mean that in a negative way. People are not interested in me and my struggle. They're interested if I show you how I got out of a struggle or they're interested on what I'm working on on myself or they're interested in knowing that life's not perfect but I'm willing to share the vulnerability of me sometimes. And yeah. and why? Because I identify with that. I don't identify with perfection. I, you know, I don't think any of us truly do given what I just mentioned but... I think what I've found with Instagram and Facebook, the way I like to use any of those is, you know, we're in this together. How do we support one another? I find I really tune out of nastiness or people being vicious. A very good friend of ours, you know, Cindy O'Meara and Pete Evans are classics for seeing nasty. 
nastiness. But I love the way particularly Pete and Cindy hold themselves. And, and you know, my husband always used to say when he was playing cricket and someone would knock his performance or something in the paper or it'd be on the news or something, you know, they'd say, Danny would, I'd look at him, I'd go, oh, how do you handle this? And he'd go, you know what, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. <laughs> um, and, and I kind of love that philosophy that, we're all able and open to have a philosophy and an opinion, but I don't think just as much as I want to ram down people's throats this health philosophy, I realise not everybody wants to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said is great about, you know, about being real and about sharing your journey and your stories. And I know that, you know, we all do that on these podcasts and we, you know, open ourselves up and we share our lives and our challenges and our, you know, the, the things we've done it, but also then how we how we deal with it, what we've done to try and overcome that and to move forward through it. And and for me, I was just saying to you earlier at the moment, one of the things I'm doing is listening to your wonderful Up for a Chat podcast. They're fantastic. And so, you know, you mentioned before about having the right team on the sidelines, Kim. And, and you know, when I was going through my challenges with my relationships, you know, you were number one on my list, Kim. You know, the this love and support you gave me throughout that time and, and continue to do was just above and beyond, just exceptional and, and made such a massive difference to me personally in my life. And so I want to say thank you for that uh, while, we're, while we're here publicly, let everyone know how, how special you are. Um, and, you know, one of the things that happened throughout that time, Kim, is that, you know, I had all of your oils in my home. And, and to be honest, like, I was never really into oils, Kim. Like, I was, you know, I'm a bit of a blokey bloke. I didn't really do that kind of stuff. And so I bought all these oils because I like, I love Kim. She's such a wonderful person. You know, I'm just going to buy her oils because I love her and, you know, I want to support her. And she says they do good things, so I'll get them and give them a go. But <laughs> when I was in that time of absolute stress, then I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I'm going to try burning some of these oils. You know, Kim says they help, so I'm going to give it a go. And I tell you what, I noticed some real differences. I, I noticed that I was sleeping better. I felt more relaxed. Um, I felt more uh, emotionally stable, for want of a better word. So, mm-hmm. Kim, tell us about your oils. Tell us about how you got into having this this amazing company that you run. During my ultramarathon running, I was studying aromatherapy, and it's just ironic how the stars all align. But I started using the oils during those runs and I was working on different events, whether it was a short 50k training run or whether I was just going out for a 10k sprint, I guess an analogy of that, or whether I was in an event um, and running for Australia in, in, in over in England, I found that certain oils gave me a, a different feeling and the fact that I was studying it was just such great case studies for me, particularly using them with other athletes. Uh, the, the sense of smell is underrated in the human beings because we no longer need it really to sense danger or to, we don't even use it in its fullest capacity anymore as far as taste is concerned. We certainly smother it and assault it these days with all the chemicals in our lives and you know people don't even realize that whilst we think we're attracted to somebody physically by looking at them in fact the real essence as to why you are truly connected to them in that moment and why some of them feel like they become a soulmate to you is actually because of their smell and the pheromones they emit. Now, this goes back to, to caveman days where um, when we could smell each other and there's certainly no mistakes in the animal kingdom, what we're doing is is basically smelling out our genes. Are they going to make good babies? Um, is, you know, Yes, we'll look at a, a male might look at good hips and maybe a good bust from the point of view of being able to feed his baby and we'll look at someone with strong shoulders and strong legs because we know he can hunt and gather 
uh, and I'm, of course I'm talking back in caveman days, but at the ultimately end of the day, the best way our genetic coding worked was through our sense of smell, knowing intrinsically that that was a good match. So when I look at that from prehistoric or you know historical times right through to the evolution of using smell and perfumes and unguents, then going into the therapeutic qualities of essential oils and herbs and plants, I mean modern medicine was all based on plants. We used to treat ourselves using beautiful tinctures and ointments and, and unguents and things like that that came from the plant kingdom. The, plant, the, the, the medical fraternity is based on traditional herbal therapy. So when you go back to, and if we look at the paleo way of looking at life, which is based on our evolutionary processes, well, the same thing comes from healing. When we look at how we've evolved to heal the body, using plants and nature is one of the greatest ways that we can support the body to create homeostasis, balance and wellness. So it made absolute sense to me and ironic that here I was running for Australia and running for Victoria and I was eating foods that were, I guess, for want of a better word, and people think paleo is some big um, cult maybe, but it's in fact just saying eating the way nature intended. So for me, um, I was eating, you know, chicken and, and I'm not a red meat eater. So I never thought I was paleo actually as it all evolved over this time <laughs> because I thought paleo meant red meat. I was so, you know, ignorant to what it was all about. So then when I looked at the whole thing of back in when I was training, I was eating my chicken and my eggs. Cliffy was big on coconut oil. He was actually big on potatoes, obviously, because he's a he was a potato farmer. But but he was very big on having good fat and, and eating food that was smothered in fat, and I mean good fat. He was also very big on, you know, coconut water was massive for us back then, particularly drinking it during an event. So, and here I am nowadays going, I think it's one of the best electrolyte drinks out there. I've actually probably been paleo for most of my life, um, which is eating quality food. You know, my whole philosophy around paleo and, and medicine and everything, if you like, is um, small amounts of quality meats. So whether you're a, fish, a pescatarian or you eat chicken or, and I do believe you can be a vegetarian paleo as well, where it's just eating really good quality proteins. Um, lots of veggies for me has always been the key, particularly green. I've always been a big believer in green veggies. And then quality fat. You know, here I was eating coconut oil. I've always, I do eat a bit of dairy, so I've always been okay with, and it's because my body is okay with dairy, so I've loved butter and cream. And I'm also really good about um, having lots of fermented food. Now, I didn't realize, Cliffy was really big on having a tablespoon of sauerkraut with every meal. It's, it's just bizarre. And here we are all thinking it's new. But I tell you what, my grandparents used to pickle their foods. My grandmother used to preserve all the fruits when it was in excess. And when I look at the principles of what our forefathers and mothers were raised on, I just don't think it's far from the truth of what the human body has evolved to do. And that's just getting back to reality, which is the same thing with medicine, which is why I love homeopathics, herbal therapy, and aromatherapy. Gosh, did I go off track? Sorry. No, it's great. It's great. We're getting into some of the simple things around food. And I, and I understand even even Danny, who you know wasn't perhaps as strict on his food as you, but, but even he noticed the difference in terms of uh, gluten and particularly beer. You know, a cricketer who didn't drink beer, that's, that's sacrilegious, Kim. But tell us a little bit about that. That with from Danny's perspective as well. 
Well, he actually was quite obsessed with food. And here's the challenge. You know, when he, here he was a professional sportsman, they had nutritionists and dietitians telling the New Zealand cricket team what they should and shouldn't be eating. We were sponsored by different corporations, food corporations, and, I, and I, you even have to look at the, the All Blacks who were swan- sponsored by Sanitarium and, and eating wheat bicks and things like that. So it's really hard. I, I don't think people really appreciate how tough it is in the sporting fraternity when you've got major food corporations sponsoring teams. So the players have to be seen to be eating or supporting these companies, and some of them maybe do have very good pro- quality um, products. But if you are someone who's a foodie and has a paleolithic understanding of, of eating and, and, and well-being, then it can be very conflicting. So, um, And particularly when these people, in reality, are paying your wages. So Danny has always been very big on his food and nutrition, and that's why I think I studied a lot around nutrition while he, because I figured, or we both figured, we're a team. His body is paying our wages. How can we best look after it? So, of course, I would be massaging and using the oils and obviously running in baths and using things like magnesium and all of those sorts of things. We were doing that. But then go on, do- Kim, go on. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be a Kim Morrison podcast without it. Go on. The oils worked very well on his body all over. I mean, absolutely. And the fact that he had many groin injuries, I will say I had nothing to do with it. But the reality is, is we worked really well as a team. And we had a lot of great people on our team, chiropractors, osteopaths. We had acupuncturists. We had dentists that actually worked with his TMJ, the tendomandibular joint, because of the way it affected his neck. We had beautiful nutritionists that thought the way we did. We had naturopaths we would see. But I guess what no one really picked up on with Danny was that wheat actually and sugar Now, I picked up on it in the sense that I noticed he had a lot of gas and bloating and, oh my gosh, if he ever ate sugar, even if it was natural sugars, you know, he would stink and it was horrible. And I'd go to him, why, you know, you can't do that. Beer was the worst. And like you say, in that culture, that mentality, it's very hard to be a non-beer drinking um, cricketer or any sort of sports person. So I think for us over time, what happened is we started doing elimination type diets and we just said, how would we go? And I'd be happy to support him. Let's go gluten free for a whole, you know, three months. Let's see what happens over, tw- over 12 weeks. What happens if we eliminate it? He thrived. Now, he went through all sorts of ups and downs, obviously, through his career and trying different things. But when he finished playing, and it was only really recently as we all got to know each other and me getting in touch with you wellness guys and spending more time with Cindy and trying to really understand more of the chiropractic approach to life. I've always had an interest but never necessarily always been overly informed. So it was kind of like it all came to a halt again a number of years ago when Danny's health was just at its worst. Now, emotionally, he'd lost his sister through suicide. We'd lost all our money in a house. We'd lost, uh, look, it was a really tough time. My grandmother passed away just as I was trying to build this business here on the Sunshine Coast when we'd moved here. So from an emotional point of view, he was a wreck. And guess what? He gave up. He started drinking you know, obsessively. He was taking drugs when I didn't even realize it. He was traveling on the road feeling very lonely. The guy's world was falling apart. And on top of that, he was eating bad. And I don't know about you, Brent. I'm sure you appreciate this, and particularly the men in our world. When it all just starts crumbling, it just folds. And it is really hard and I'd say this, and I'm probably generalizing, I think it's hard for men because maybe you're conditioned not to speak and and emotionally share your experiences because you have to be seen to be strong. 
And I really encouraged him to try and talk. Now, the hard thing for him was he didn't want to let me down. So here he was traveling the world now as a cricket commentator, absolutely losing all sense of reality on all levels. Our marriage was nearly over. And I think what happened when we really sat there with our counselor and she said, my darlings, do you love each other? She was French and she was 85 and we both went yes. And she goes, well, you have no problem. Eat well. (laughs) Do not drink. Get away from alcohol. Get away from sugar. This was her advice. And start working on each other and with each other again. And that saved us. It saved him. And, And we also decided that we would go through the whole four seasons before we made any decision as to whether or not we would stay together or not stay together. And she believed because of the evolution of, of, of seasons, we also go through emotional seasons. And I really loved that. So we both decided to go from summer to summer. And thankfully, over that period of 12 months of working together, eliminating wheat, dropping sugar, Danny stopped drinking altogether, all alcohol, and um, and he really worked on himself. And interestingly, at this time, we've just lost the beautiful Wayne Dyer. One of the books that was key for Danny was reading Wayne Dyer's Excuses Be Gone and listening to it on audio. And the other one was reading Novak Djokovic's book, which was Serve to Win, which he is very much around being gluten-free. And that just seemed to make sense to him, look, listening to it through a sportsman's point of view and a man's point of view, talking about emotional and spiritual welfare. So... I, I don't know if that's helped answer the question, but it was really poignant to ask. It was, it was a great answer because, once again, it's, it's sharing your journey and what you've been through and, and how you overcome that. And I know people are listening to that and taking notes and, and coming up with realisations of what they can do for themselves as well, which is wonderful. So coming back to where we were about 10 minutes ago, Kim, we were going to start talking about the, the product line you've created. So tell us a bit about 28. Like, why did you create it? What's unique about your products? Um you know, what's different? Uh, you know, in reality, they're not different to any other beautiful essential oil and aromatherapy company out there, really. We're all trying to do the best that we can. We all have different philosophies and stories behind why and how we created it. And that's why I encourage people to source out and listen to the directors of companies and hear their mission or their vision or their purpose or their core values around what it is and why they do what it is. And that's what I think we connect to. So, I created 28 because essential oils have played a pivotal part. There has not been a day in my life I've not used them since I was 19. I'm I'm 47 now, and I can absolutely promise you there's never been a day I've missed using them. But, I, but I mean, how- oils aren't oils, right, Kim? I mean, I can go down to the supermarket and buy eucalyptus oil off the shelf that comes in a big fat bottle, um, but it's not the same stuff. Right. Which is why you need to find out the philosophy of the yeah. company. So you're absolutely right. There is You can go to the markets and get rose for $5, whereas I sell rose and, and it's the only beautiful high-quality rose you can get on the market and it sells for nearly $500 for a 10-mil bottle. And that's because of its yield, where it's picked, where it's grown, how it's manufactured and how it's extracted and the, the absolute small amount you get out of each petal. So, you know, you've got to be savvy. It's like food. It's like exercise. You want to go with people that you trust, and I always believe in looking at it from a vitalistic point of view as opposed to me- uh, mechanistic. So it's very much in vibration with what the body and what nature and what is actually intended for the greater good. So, yes, indeed, I, I wanted a company that would speak those values and those truths around the laws of nature, the laws of the universe, as opposed to what we mere mortals as human beings think is right. So, yes, there is quality around them. I, I love using I think 
I think the really most powerful thing that I could say about aromatherapy and essential oils is it's about creating rituals. Now, the rituals is what takes us away from feeling like a have to. So I'm going to take a shower today anyway. Most of us will shower usually, most of us at least once a day, um, if not every couple of days. And instead of just hopping in the shower and, and washing myself the whiffy bits and then hopping out and patting myself dry, why not take a bottle of lime oil in there, pure lime oil and a body brush or a loofah? And I'm still going to have my shower. Why not step back out of the shower while the water's running, two drops of lime on a body brush, and now give myself a full-body brush exfoliation? I've now just turned that beautiful shower into a ritual. And in doing that, I've also stimulated the olfactory system. I've now had, now we know essential oils is the one therapy that crosses the blood-brain barrier instantly. Within three to four seconds, I can change the way I think and feel just by inhaling a therapeutic grade essential oil and lime is an energy booster it's a beautiful oil for lifting yourself emotionally if you're feeling a bit down it's a great stimulant on the skin it's the most beautiful oil to use if we're feeling like we just need a bit of a pep up so now i just turned that same two minute shower into a two minute ritual just by adding the powers of two drops of essential oil of lime that is my key around this you're gonna have um for many of us girls we're gonna put creams on our faces men put aftershave maybe they shave their faces why not add a drop of lavender to that beautiful cream or oil that you're going to put on your face and just enhance it by saying as you take in a deep breath I'm worth it I love myself I am someone of great strength I can command absolute brilliance in every day in every way so I just have created these little rituals around using the oils now if I said to you Brett tomorrow morning when you're shaving stand there in front of the mirror and say I'm worth it you might kind of think yeah it sounds cool it's a good idea but you'll forget about it add a drop of lavender to it now I've got you doing something physically and now as you're putting that drop of lavender into your beautiful maybe jojoba oil or rosehip oil to put on the face now you've got the memory now of saying something positive because we've created a ritual now we're creating whole new pathways and neurochemical loops of creating new positive habits that if you do it over 28 days up to three months every day it can become a habit for life Nice, and you know I don't shave, Kim. You know maybe maybe brushing my beard or trimming my beard, but you know let's not get carried away. Anyway, we're almost out of time, Kim, and so I just want to say a couple of things beforehand uh, before we go. Uh, one is that you know obviously all of your oils aren't five hundred dollars. We don't want people going away thinking that. Um, you know uh-huh. ma- many of your oils are, are significantly cheaper than that. And what I'd love you to give people just as a bit of a takeaway here, just very quickly, is you know some of the oils that are in your range, and what are, what are the most common ones that people use, and what are the most common uses for some of those oils that people who are thinking of dabbling in this area where can they get started first number one oil to start with is lavender it is the the go-to oil for anything it is antiseptic antibacterial it is absolutely cell regenerating it's good for burns bites stings it's the one oil you can use on the body neat so you could put one drop onto a burn a bite a pimple you could use it a drop on a pillow to help someone sleep you could use it in a bath to help relax muscles and it's just the go-to oil i think what i love about you know oils and i created a blend called immune boost which has got your eucalyptus, lavender, tea tree, pine, cedarwood, all the very antiseptic oils in there. You could do two drops of that and do an inhalation. The good old days where we used to use Vicks Vapor Rub, let's do a bowl of water with two drops of Immune Boost. You could use beautiful Instant Calm for people that have insomnia. You can use my, I've created a blend called Romance and Intimacy, which is a beautiful perfume and it's also wonderful for those of us 
that might have been married for a while and we need a bit of coaxing. Um, <laughs> you just, you know that, that, and I've had men ordering this by the bucket load, by the way, just about because they cannot believe how fired up their wives get on that. So there's a little hint. <laughs> well, there's a few um, orders right there. I can just, I can hear the castor just as chinging. <laughs> it's a great blend. Um, celebrate and uplift or beautiful energy and vitality. You know, go for the things we want more of in our life. You know, if we, if we're someone that's a bit depressed, don't go for a a blend for depression go for something that's called celebrate and uplift what do we want more of in our life as opposed to what are we trying to get rid of and I really am I guess if I had one philosophy I asked my children this the other day Brett I said if I died tomorrow because when I heard Wayne Dyer had died I I was very upset but also in the big spiritual realm of things you know it's all absolutely perfect but I did look at them both at the dinner table I said "If, if I die tomorrow what would you remember me by and they both rolled their eyes I've got teenagers um they both kind of look, oh, mum, you're all about kindness, you know, you're kind to the planet, kind to people, kind to each other, kind to yourself. And I went, oh, good. So they went, yeah, so we'll put that on your tombstone, be kind. Hmm. And I thought, you know what, I'm actually happy with that. Love if it. you just want to take away from this podcast, be kind to yourself, be kind to the planet. If you are someone that eats, you know, animals, be kind, eat animals that have been kind to, be kind to one another. And, and, and I don't think we can go far wrong with that. I like that. One of my favourite quotes, I actually have it on the screensaver on my phone, is be silly, be honest, be kind. I love that one. Oh, I love that too. Oh, my silly. So thank you so much for coming on, Kim. For people who want to get some of these oils, want to find out more about Kim, you can head to 28.com. That's the word 20, the number 8.com. You can find Kim on Facebook and Instagram. And so until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.